Did anybody have breakfast? There was something called the whales out there. Found out about it today for the first time. My brother Ronnie <laughs> took me there. That's the one thing I like about being in church in America. You have everything inside. So if you feel hungry along the course of the summer, because I'm going to be long, you can take a little break and the world is still open. <laughs> it's always wonderful to be back here. And um, I arrived yesterday. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> if I fall asleep on the pulpit, I give that ahead of time as an excuse so that you know what's going on. <laughs> But uh, I want to honor God's people that are here today and to thank uh, all the pastors of the house. Uh, I saw Pastor Bruce. I know for sure I haven't uh, seen Pastor Bobby. And uh, <coughs> um, I also want to thank Pastor Ronnie Mick uh, for making sure that I'm here today. Some months back, Way back, I gave an excuse that I would, was not able to come here this time <clears throat> and this year uh, because I told him that I was going to be spending some time in Asia and it would not be possible for me to come on the date that we thought we would come. He said, no, we will change the date you will have to come. <laughs> so um, I honor him and I'm thankful that he made it possible adjusting his calendar to ensure that I am here today. Uh, there's so many people that are family to me in this house, and we have known each other for many years, and I truly cherish the relationship that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, Pastor Wayne and Jean, they spent a considerable amount of time in Africa this year. I didn't get a real opportunity to spend so much time with them because of many troubles that uh, we're taking place, uh, but uh, we sort of like have the door open for them for ministry uh, and the rest of you who do come to Southern Africa or the United Kingdom, and we thank God for the relationship that we have. The other day, I called my wife, we were actually in the UK, and I said, I was sitting on a desk and my computer was open and I was looking at something. Uh, by the way, I, 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 I also... I am on Facebook. I wanted to be away from Facebook. I found out that it's a sin not to be on Facebook. <laughs> you have to be on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, years ago, I used to laugh at Pastor Wayne that he was the, one of the most analog pastors I knew of. Now, he has overtaken me in the digital world. He's more on Facebook than I am on Facebook. So he posts a couple of prayer requests on Facebook, and uh, I always follow through to see what he is uh, requesting. And... I called my wife and I said, you have no idea, I, and I also had no idea how Wayne is connected to Africa. Uh, so right there, there was a prayer request, <laughs> in, and he had one sent to our email uh, uh, inbox as much as to all the other prayer partners that are part of his circle. And I, I thought to myself, I have never sent a prayer request like this all my life. Now, do you know? how hard it is for a man who lives in Tennessee to have a prayer request that says, pray for one of my nieces or my cousins who has been chased by an elephant. I thought, what? <laughs> <I'm not laughs> 
you know, I read about that and I said, how easy is it for a guy from Smyrna to have a relative who is being chased by an elephant? You have to be, <laughs> you have to be more African than I have ever imagined. <laughs> I have never posted a prayer request like that in my life. <laughs> and I promise you, I was born and bred in Africa, but <laughs> it's not very usual that my relatives get chased by an elephant. <laughs> And I, I said to, say to Sarita, I said, this guy is more connected to Africa than we are. <laughs> oh, what a blessing. And uh, yesterday I had breakfast with them and Jennifer and the rest of the family. And I was saying, you know, um, we, we're so blessed to have Jesse in Southern Africa. Jesse is the most natural missionary I have ever met in my life. And I have met many missionaries all over the world, and I can tell you that Jesse can live in Africa better than I do. Uh, so I, I honor him for continuing the tradition that has been upheld in this church, as far as my knowledge goes, all the way to the years of uh, Baba Bruce, uh, I continued by Pastor Ronnie Mick, and uh, his father coming to Africa, and here we are uh, seeing uh, Jesse continuing a tradition. So we thank God to See a church that is mission-minded. If you do not know anything about this church and you are new today, you need to know that this is a local church, but which has a very clear global view about Christ's Great Commission. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I have thoroughly enjoyed worship this morning. I believe this is the way how you do it every week. You... Uh, because I'm the one who is falling behind on knowing some of the songs that you sing. Even though I know that the copyright is somewhere in Africa, but you have perfected it in such a way that amazes me. <laughs> um, you almost are in a position now to come back to Africa to teach us how to sing our songs in a better way. <laughs> and I don't know what is the correct English word to describe that. <laughs> but... Uh, we are grateful for the gift of God. If I had a testimony, this year has been a wonderful year for me in many aspects of ministry, but among them uh, is uh, a lot of effort that I'm putting in building women's ministry. Now, the nature of our ministry is such that because we are a church planting movement that is everywhere, uh, it's so important that uh, maybe in my position, I have to uphold a certain truth for people to realize that we have that liberty in Christ to continue and do this as the Lord has assigned us. And one of the things that is so clear to me is that women must do ministry. <laughs> I hope I will not be in trouble today. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I firmly believe in that. And I support women's ministry a lot. In fact, this year I have deployed so much resources towards supporting and giving capacity to women's ministry. Why? Because I believe that women should proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that one of the reasons why we have not finished the Great Commission, it was something strange even during my recent trip in Asia that people were looking at me as I was telling them that one of the reasons why I believe that the Great Commission is not fulfilled until now is because the greatest number of people that are in the church are being laid redundant because of a faulty doctrine that says women must not say anything. 
I can almost make a sermon of that right now. I don't want to make a sermon out of that. But you see, I rise from a home where there's a lot of women. In my house, if you say women must be silent, nobody will say anything. <laughs> so I make sure I do not subscribe to that at all. <laughs> because I have daughters, I have a wife, both of them who are a factory of ideas and they are full of things to say. Can't silence them at all. There will be dead silence in that house. Do you know that I, recently I said, uh, I have read the Bible for quite a number of years, and I, I have never known God standing with men very often, as much as he stands with me, women. This is a comparison. Why am I saying this? So I told people recently that I work so hard to make sure my wife is happy with me all the time. <laughs> Seriously, I do. I want her to be happy and pleased with me and what I do and what we do in our home. Part of the reason is because one time I stumbled into a verse that says, if she's not happy, God will not listen to my prayers. And do you know how hard I pray to get ahead by God? <laughs> I have never seen a scripture where God took the side of a man and he said, if the man is upset, I'm not going to listen to you. But you upset a woman... The Bible says heavens will be shut no matter how many days you have been fasting. Now what kind of a Bible is this? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well that part is, is the bonus part of the whole thing. It's actually a testimony that I'm giving. <laughs> that I, I am really, and I'm, I'm even hoping and expecting to see more women on the mission field. Uh, even in future trips, whether Pastor Bruce is going somewhere or Pastor Wayne or Pastor Ronnie Mix, we want to see more and more women. I'm saying this, this is, this is not even the subject of my preaching. This is a testimony. So when I was flying here, I have a tendency of reading a lot of airplane magazines, and I found out as I kept on carrying this consciousness in me that we must always support women's ministry. We must always encourage women in missions. We must always... And, and in, in all my offices, there's a book somewhere which is talking about women's ministry, women's... And I'm supporting my wife in all her effort to do women's ministry. So when I was coming down and I thought about this, that why is it that God does not have a passage that talks about the fact that if... If he's not happy with... If, if I'm not pleased... My wife's prayers keep on going on to the Lord, but if I upset my wife, somehow the scriptures say God will not listen to me. <laughs> and uh, recently I found another passage again where one day Sarah and Abraham are having an argument about a bond woman and the Lord says, Sarah is right. Stop it, stop it right there. <laughs> the Bible says Sarah is right. Get rid of the bond woman and her son. Huh. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm not going to say this, but I read something on my way coming here that uh, out of all the hurricanes in the world, those which are named after women are the most deadly than those which are named after men. <laughs> 
Turn your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <laughs> oh, do you know that what I just said was actually a university study? <laughs> and you better find out why. Hurricane Victoria is more deadly than Hurricane Victor. Whatever you check, wherever you check, you can check as many as you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today I have something that I would like to share with you. And really, there is a premise uh, upon which I feel the burden to share what I want to share about. For I determined, I, I, I had, when talk about, make reference to King James. I love, I love King James, but uh, hmm, I don't have too many people that understand it anymore. Okay, let's use NIV. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And so I'm sure the King James would say, I determined to know nothing except Christ and him only crucified. <clears throat> Some months back in the beginning of this year, I did two trips back into Kenya. Spending some time, the first time on one part of the Maasai uh, territory, in a town called Narok. At night, I, <clears throat> I had been there maybe a few times, and I was staying in the town called Narok. We were doing ministry almost 80 miles away in the mountains uh, called Inklangosi, a very distant place, quite a challenge to drive there. I know people and cultures like those for a while because it's part of what I do time after time. But you know one thing, that night I tossed a lot. And I, I was struggling to know, what am I going to be preaching about? And the reason is because of the fact that I spent a lot of my time speaking to mixed groups of people. So you can spend one time and you are talking to business people. The next time you are talking to academics on a university campus. The other time you are speaking to a certain kind of, uh, maybe family people, different different. Uh, Economic status, different educational levels, different, different everything all the time. And when I looked at these people and I'm thinking to myself, what could be the most relevant message that I could bring to them? What truth could I proclaim in such a way that it could transform their destiny permanently and change their life? And considering the amount of time that I'm only here for a week, what could I say that could have an eternal lasting impact in their life forever and change them permanently. Do you know every time when you preach the gospel you have to carry that in your mind because you do not have the opportunity to preach to people all the time forever in their lives. Somehow the word of God should be effective enough that when delivered and deposited in the lives of the people can actively transform their lives and change their destiny permanently even in your absence. That's the principle law of liberty in scripture. God's word does not require for you to permanently be with people forever. It may not be necessary. When given in the lives of people, they should live with the truth enough never to meet, miss the inheritance together with all the saints. That's how Paul says it in the book of, when he speaks to the Ephesian elders. I entrust you to the word of God, which is able to save you, to give, guarantee the inheritance together with all the other saints. But you know, that night, this scripture really came to my heart and I've been pouring myself to it so much that suddenly as I started just browsing through my Bible, 
I started reading the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul visited the church or the people in the city and he says, when I came among you, I determined to know nothing else save Jesus Christ and him only crucified. Could it be that that is the message? Is it that Christ is all that the world really needs? And I think about that many times. When I see the little opportunity that I have, maybe to spend one week with people and I say, what can I say to you? That I can leave with you enough to guarantee the eternal inheritance that Christ through his meritorious work on Calvary gave to humanity. But truthfully enough, nothing but Jesus. I loved this service this morning. The singing was all focused on Christ. The communion service was focused on Christ. Everything that we were doing was focused on Christ. The story is about substitutionary. Substitutionary. That's the death that Christ Gave or exhibited in the world or gave to us in order to redeem us. Like the drama that our brother was uh, portraying with his friends standing up here. What you need to know is that you are not in this church because of the fact that the lights are so many and beautiful. It's got nothing to do with theater. Somebody died to make it possible for you to be saved. Never leave the let that escape your mind. Our story of redemption does not resolve, revolve on TV screens or the entertainment of music or anything else you can think about. The real story is about Jesus coming into the world, dying on a cross on your behalf. Substitutionary death took all of your iniquity on your behalf. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. That is the whole story of the gospel. And apparently it doesn't change. It remains the same story of the gospel. That him who knew no sin became a sinner so that sinners could be justified. That's the whole story of the gospel. And it, changed, it doesn't change. It doesn't become uh, uh, improved in any way. It's beyond improvement. It's the same truth for all humanity. Every man around the world needs Jesus Christ. So I see people, no matter how technologically advanced they are, how civilized they may be, how developed they are in terms of wealth acquisition, and how much in touch they are with technology. But the element of being fallen and sinner is common to all mankind. All have sinned and came short of the glory of God. So the truth is, we all need Jesus Christ. We don't need a social program. We do not need an idea of how to think differently. That's not the whole deal. The story lies right there on the cross of Calvary. Somebody died to make it possible for you to be a child of God. You know, some years ago, I watched, uh, I learned a story about an, a Muslim who challenged the Christians in an auditorium. Stood up and he said, Jesus Christ None of you take serious the whole thing about salvation. If you do, let me see one that is willing to die right now. If we can shoot you in front of everyone, if you are prepared to die for your faith. After a moment of silence, obviously, there wasn't one ready to die. After a while, somebody raised their hand and they said, there is no one who will die. Why? Because no, somebody has already died for it. We don't need to have another death on top of that death. You see, what we were seeing this morning during communion service is an illustration which the scriptures say once for all time, one sacrifice was given for our salvation. And that sacrifice covers all time 
as long as humanity exists, our redemption hinges on that. Had it not been for that, maybe what you saw today, this would have been a repeated exercise week in and week out. That you would be coming with a lamb for sacrifice in order for your sins to be forgiven and you fall again in the course of the week. No, you do not need to do it again and again. You do not need to do it ever. Once for all time, one sacrifice was offered so that mankind could be redeemed. That is the whole gospel that we preach. That's all that we go around to tell mankind that there is hope because Jesus died on the cross on our behalf. So I see, I, I, that's why I said I'm almost like testifying to you that the more I see the story of humanity, the more I see the nations of the world, I see one reality that every man needs Jesus Christ. The great preacher during Easter time, we had a couple of friends coming over for the Easter conference this year in the United Kingdom. And I always have a thing now that I'm doing where we take a little bit of a tour to see Westminster Palace, Westminster Abbey. And one building that I always add to is the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which is like the former church of Charles Hudson Spagion. The Prince of Preachers, as he was called. I remember my college years, we would study about Spagion as the greatest voice that rose out of London, preaching and proclaiming about Jesus. The man was a preacher. And standing in, in that church, again, I have to remind everybody about one of the great statements he said. He said, there are many roads in England, but all of them lead to London. It's the same truth about the gospel that no matter where you begin, whether you are in the scary creatures of Ezekiel, or you are somewhere in Daniel, or you begin in all the bloody stories and the narratives of Leviticus, it will still come back to the cross of Calvary. The story will always be about Jesus Christ. He is the theme of the book. He is everything about our faith. Jesus is all in all. And there is nothing else apart from him. You know the amazing thing and why this means so much to me now? Is that more and more we are beginning to even see churches emerging in this country that can have an entire service without even mentioning the name of Jesus somewhere. And it scares me. <laughs> Jesus is everything about what we are. He's everything about our worship. He's everything about our giving. He's everything about our singing. He's everything about our preaching. Jesus is all in all. The Bible says it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. We were not redeemed by guitars. We were redeemed by the blood. The story is about Christ. It's not about anything else but Jesus Christ. So somehow he must remain with prominence. You know, this Franklin Graham some years ago during the Bush era, I think it was a state function that he was asked to speak it. And it surprised me truly. That after speaking, it was a multi-faith event. And in praying and speaking, he had to mention Jesus Christ. The funny thing is that afterwards, he wrote that he got the greatest backlash. Not from the, from the Hindus and the Mormons or anyone else. No, 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 no. He got the backlash from the Christian pastors who were offended and felt that it was inappropriate for him to mention the name of Jesus Christ. Why did you mention Jesus? Why didn't you just say some supreme creature, some, uh, I don't know, whatever word you think you, is appropriate to describe God? He says, are you crazy? Don't you realize that I cannot talk to a God whom I do not know? I can only make inference or reference to a God that I worship. I worship Jesus Christ. I pray to Jesus Christ. I can only call on Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I do not know Buddha. I know Jesus. That's the only one I can call. So, if you do have your meetings next time, these were his real words. 
and you do not want the name of Jesus Christ mentioned, don't invite me. Because I will always mention the name of Jesus. Somehow we need to come to a place where Christ must be looked at in the same nature and determination that the Apostle Paul makes reference to. When I came among you, I determined that I would know nothing else save Jesus Christ and him only crucified. I love the book of Hebrews. And when I read the book of Hebrews and the scriptures talk about the fact that we are, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay every weight and everything that so easily besets us, every sin that so easily besets us. And notice the writer says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How can I ever explain that? Jesus is the author. He is the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Our faith originate, finds inception in Jesus Christ. And it's full consummation in Christ Jesus. He's everything. He's the rewarder of our faith. Jesus is all that it is all about. Like that song, I, 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 I wish, uh, who was that? Who was it? Uh, was it Bert Redman who did that song? It's all about you and not about me. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I wish I... It's all about you. That's the thing. It's all about Christ. It's all about him. And nothing else, not even about us, but about Jesus Christ. It's all about the Savior himself. Now, you know, when you read Hebrews chapter 12 and you see the writer saying, looking unto Jesus. Notice the fact that when he refers to the great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all the names in Hebrews chapter 11. The Abrams, the, the, the great men and women of of faith, the Jacobs, the this, and he would talk about this great man whom he says, I don't even have time to show you and tell you about all of them. They, they walked in faith, they died in faith, they performed the exploits in faith. But the real part that you need to understand is that when he says looking unto Jesus, he's actually saying that even though these men were great, they are only witnesses, but we still look to Jesus. We don't look to Abraham, we look to Christ. Elijah was a wonderful, great prophet. We still look to Jesus. Moses was a mighty man of courage, but looking unto Jesus. Noah was a great man of obedience and holiness, but looking unto Jesus. Sarah was a mighty looking unto Jesus. We do not look to a man. We look to Christ. You have no idea how serious that is from my part of the world. Where we have entire ministries. Is that true even in America? It's true. In this country, you do not build a ministry on the truth of Christ. You build a ministry on persona. People have not learned to look to Christ. We must know that God's call upon his people is that we must look to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why? Because even every one of these witnesses you read in Hebrews chapter 11, they were all looking to Jesus Christ. Every one of them. They, they were all looking to the story of redemption as it was being given. I find that we are challenged in our time where the sufficiency of the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ and his meritorious work on the cross seems like it's, 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 it's becoming a questionable thing in our day. Is it enough that Jesus died for you? Could it be that there is any more sacrifice required? The Bible says none. Everything he did on the cross is enough to give you the eternal inheritance that the scripture promises. It's all predicated on the work on Calvary. When he said it is finished, there is nothing outside it. 
So when I stand today, when I walk this journey of faith, I stand in the assurance that it's all done, it's all finished. He did it all on the cross. He took it all on the cross. He paid for it all on the cross. And, and that's simple. I do a lot of evangelistic crusades. And I never leave out the story where I always give an example that he paid it all. And I always tell an, an example of a father who was traveling from one city going to a place like London. Flying from Johannesburg, going all the way to London. His, he had never been on a plane before. His son sent him a flight ticket and said, I want you to visit me, daddy. Please come over. And on the plane, he said next to another gentleman on the plane, the other guy was eating, drinking all the way, standing up at wheel, using the bathrooms and coming back and calling the waiters time after time. This old man sat there, he never touched anything. Never ate anything. Never tasted anything. Ten miles, ten Ten hours later in the flight, the other gentleman asked and he said, we have sat together for a while. I never saw you ask for anything or you never drank anything. Is something wrong? The man replied and he said, I am sorry. The reason why is because my son only afforded to send me the ticket, but he did not send the money for the food. The guy's heart was broken. He said, you have no idea. It was the same ticket that was taking you to your destination. In it, the food was included. The water and the drinks were included. The bathrooms and the service was included. But he did not know that it was all included in one package. It's the same truth with our salvation. That in the same covenant that provides for the redemption of our sin, our joy was included. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. Our peace, our prosperity, all that we ever sought from God was all built in one package in our redemption. So we serve God knowing for sure that when he said it is finished, it's all finished in Christ. It's all finished in Christ. In fact, I love the apostle Paul when he puts, the way he puts it in Philippians. He says, you know me, Paul. You know, Paul was something else when he describes himself. He said, I, Paul. <laughs> he makes reference to who he was. He describes his pedigree when he shares about his heritage as a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day of Israel. A Hebrew among other Hebrews. You know, he talks about his education under the feet of the great Gamaliel of the day. But then the next thing he makes an amazing turn. And he said, but whatsoever was riches to me, was gain to me, I now compare it as dumb, rubbish. Why? Because there was a time that I weighed my heritage against the surpassing greatness, as NIV puts it. King James says, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The, the beauty of knowing my Redeemer. And I discovered that all that was heritage to me was rubbish in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing my Lord Jesus Christ. That, that knowledge was superior to all his entire inheritance. You need to know that that what matters more than anything else. So I love Galatians when he speaks in, in Galatians 2.20 and he said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. The, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. That, that's in that single verse, he explains his whole story about his faith. The life I live today in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of the living God. That's it. I live by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. Jesus is all in all. He's sufficient in all things. He paid for everything. And for all that we are and for all that we shall be 
It's all in Christ Jesus. You know, years ago, I read a story, and it's supposed to be a true story, of a father who was actually a famous art dealer, and he was a very rich man. His son was engrafted in the army, went out there like a place like Afghanistan to fight. One day his son died at, in, in, in battle. And as a sorrowful man, weeks later, a man knocked on his door. He was holding a fabric in his hand, canvas. He said, how are you, sir? He said, I came. My name is Sorenson. I served with your son in the military. We were close friends. But before he died, I had painted a picture. I am gifted as an artist. I painted a picture of your son and I decided that I want to come and present it to you. The man received this picture. Laid the portrait right on his gallery, in his gallery against all the other priceless works of art. Right across his entire gallery was everything you can imagine. From Picasso's, Van Gogh's, the Da Vinci's. Everything was there. Worth lots and lots of money. Eventually the old man died. And left a will. All his stuff was collected for an auction. Now we have all been to an auction. They displayed all these works of art, including the picture of his son. And put there for all those who wanted to buy, people come from all over in order to actually bid for the stuff. The auctioneer stood up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, the auction begins. And he picked up on the portrait of the son, he said, the instructions of the estate is that we begin with this one. Anybody willing to give $500 for this one? People started grumbling and said, get rid of that picture. We didn't come for that. We came for the Picassos. We don't want any of that stuff. I want, I want, I want the Rembrandts and all the other. They said, no, 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 no. I understand that, but we got to follow the order. The fact is, we begin with this picture. Anybody wants this picture? $50 to anybody. $30. Nobody was interested until one guy, for the sake of getting rid of the image, he said, okay, I'll give you $50 for that one. Get, out, get that thing off our faces so that we can bid for the real stuff. He said, $50, $50 once, $50 twice, $50 thrice, sold. And the auctioneer took a breath and said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. You need to know that the instructions of the father was that whoever gets the son gets them all. The auction is over. And that was it. And I tell you what, that is truly the story of redemption. The father gave us nothing beyond and better than the son. But whoever gets the son, gets them all. No wonder why the scriptures teach us that seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these are the things that you worry about. They will be added unto you. We live in a culture that is so much driven by a propensity of gain and want that we miss the savior who matters more than anything else. If you get the son, the scriptures say in him we live we move, we have our being. In him, it's all constituted. There is no lack in him. But if we seek what is in him without finding him, then we always have a problem. I believe that Jesus should be all that we pursue after, all that we love with all our hearts, all that we sing about, and all that we preach and adore with every bit of our whole being. Jesus should consume us. Jesus should be all in all. For it also pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Can you stand just for a moment? We're going to pray to the Lord. I wish I knew of anything fanciful to impress you with. There isn't. 
The story is about Jesus. Jesus. That's all. You stay in this church for 50 years, it will still be about Jesus. That's it. You know, the part that deeply troubles me sometimes is, as a minister of the gospel, I've always found it very funny. Because now I spend so much time in England, and I travel so much that my passports gain attention every time when I come to immigration. And he flips through all these pages. What do you do? And I say, I preach the gospel. And I, I, a couple of many times I've had this question asked again. And so you don't have a real job? <laughs> I see. I think the last time I asked, I said, what's a real job to you? But you know, the reason is because of the fact that when people hear the simplicity of the gospel, they do not think that it's a real serious solution to the ills of the world. You think that's new? That's not new. You have to read Isaiah 53 and find out. Who has believed our report? To whom was the armor of the Lord revealed? For he grew up before him like a root out of dry ground. We live in a world that when they think about the gospel, it doesn't really stand as one of the, the real main solution to all the ills of the world. There's got to be some other smarter social program that will ultimately change people. And You know, we work on all these things. I'm here to tell you today that no matter how civilized the society gets, no matter how educated, I, I, I've always told people on university campus that if you take multiple degrees, Without the knowledge and the fear of God, you become nothing apart from being intellectual barbarians. What you need to understand is you need Jesus. It's all. That's, that's the whole story. And I don't have anything else that I, in, in fact, I've always said, if I knew of anything that could solve the world problems of the world better than the gospel, I would leave what I do today and start studying that. I know no answer greater than Jesus. So I look at societies that are struggling today. And I think to myself, even to my dear continent of Africa, and I, I realize that if only the gospel could be accepted, I have seen societies totally transformed. If you build all of your social reform programs and every idea that you have concerning human development to ameliorate the standards of people, but build that on a God-fearing people, you already have changed permanently the community. But if you build any program on people that do not have the knowledge of Christ, nothing comes out of it that is good. Jesus is the answer to the world. I hope people here are convinced about that. <laughs> Jesus is the answer to the ills of the world. When I go anywhere I go, I did not come here to participate in your elections. I can't change your government. I saw billboards when Brother Ronnie was driving me the other night, and I was seeing some people that are running for mayor or council offices, you know, a whole lot of people. Every one of them is telling you that they are going to make you better citizens of Tennessee than you have ever been. Smena will be wonderful. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not going to run in that election. I came to tell you that the answer is Jesus. And I can tell every family household that if Christ becomes the head of this house, things will change. If you point your faith to a redeemer, if you believe in Christ, your lives will be transformed. I, I, that's all I can share. That's all I can share. Thank you.
Brother, we appreciate the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, our Lord is risen, and he's risen in us, hasn't he? Praise the Lord. Uh, the church would like to receive an offering for Brother Clopas and his uh, worldwide ministry. And so if the ushers would come forward, I'll say a prayer, and we'll receive an offering. If you write a check, just make it out to the church, and he'll receive that. Father, we just thank you for the word. Um, and we thank you again. We can't hear the name of Jesus enough, Father. We thank you for bringing it before our eyes and our hearts again, Lord. And may the word of Christ, your son, the risen Christ, uh, be written on our hearts forever, Father. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Jesus Christ today. Be safe where you are. Think about one guy.